It's often said that the classic 1975 film Jaws is not about a shark. It might appear that the film is about a shark. Uh, yes, the, the, the poster of the film might have been dominated by a great white shark. And yes, the, the plot line might uh, seem to be about a shark terrorising a small island community. Uh, but people will argue that actually Jaws, it's not about a shark, it's about X, Y or Z. And uh, perhaps if we're uh, familiar with the, the biblical story of Jonah, we need a similar catchphrase so that we don't miss the big theme. Uh, can you guess where we're going with this? Uh, the book of Jonah is not about a fish. It's not about a fish, it's not even primarily about Jonah. Uh, first and foremost, it tells us not uh, what Jonah was like, but what God is like. Uh, as with all the books of the Bible, it's first and foremost about God and the salvation he offers in Jesus Christ. And as we, we zoom in on some of the different sections of this book, some of the different characters that we meet, we'll learn more about the God we serve uh, what he expects from those who claim to know him and also the great love and mercy he is eager to shower on those who haven't yet come to trust in him. Uh, we're going to look at this, uh, this first chapter uh, under two headings this morning. Seeing firstly faithlessness where you would expect faith most. Faithlessness where you would expect faith most. The Bass Rock is an island off the east coast of Scotland. In 1671 it was sold to King Charles I. Uh, Charles appointed a man called the Earl of Lauderdale uh, to turn it into a prison for the Covenanters. And over the next 16 years, 40 Covenanters would die in its dungeons. One of the most tragic things about the story is who Lauderdale was. He had once been a covenanter himself when the, the, the Scottish church was asked to send commissioners down to, to England to join the Westminster Assembly, which would draw up the, the Shorter Catechism or Confession of Faith and so on. Lauderdale was one of those sent down. So no covenanter at the time would ever have guessed that this man, one of their closest allies, would soon become one of their greatest enemies. And we, we have a, a similar surprise here with Jonah. Uh, verse 3 must be one of the most surprising verses in the Bible. Uh, we... If we've heard the story before, we see this coming. But think of someone reading this for the first time. The book starts off in a fairly standard way uh, for a, a prophetic book. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, uh, verse 2, maybe the, the destination that Jonah is called to go to is a little bit surprising. But we still expect verse 3 to read, and Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. But it doesn't. Instead, verse 3 comes like an electric shock. Jonah, the prophet, arises and goes to Tarshish. He runs from God. 
Twice uh, we're told in the verse that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Three times we're told that he goes to Tarshish. It's emphasizing how shocking this is. Imagine this is the first time you've heard this. You would not expect this. There are false prophets in the Bible who who prophesy falsely. There are are true prophets like Moses who who are reluctant to speak on behalf of God. Uh, But never is there someone charged with a message who, who immediately turns and goes in exactly the opposite direction. As I said earlier, we, we can't know for sure if those verses in 2 Kings 14 took place before or after this. But if they did take place before, here is a prophet who, who has a track record of being used by God. He, he has a thriving ministry. But now he just turns and leaves it all behind. He takes his life savings and walks out the door. What could have possessed him to do this? Uh, The game changer, of course, is the destination. Uh, I used to to work as a a letting agent in uh, North Lanarkshire. We managed a number of properties in what was uh, a a housing estate in uh, one of the the top 50 deprived uh, housing schemes in in Scotland. And uh, previously, what what previous people in my role had done, they'd advertised in the local paper. Uh, So I did that a a bit at the start. But if someone phoned up, once they found out exactly where, uh, where the flat was, uh, that would be the end of the conversation. And in many ways, Jonah can't get past the word Nineveh. Uh, he hears Nineveh, uh, and that is game over for Jonah. And in many ways, Jonah's reaction is very understandable. Nineveh is condemned in the book of Nahum uh, as the bloody city full of lies and plunder which heaped up so many corpses that people were tripping over them. Nineveh was one of the main cities of the Assyrian Empire and and the wall paintings they've left behind showed that the Assyrians gloried in violence. Uh, They've wall paintings of victims with limbs torn off, eyes gouged out, impaled or with the skin flayed from their bodies. might be a bit like someone today being called to, to go as a prophet to, to North Korea. Uh, Israel knew all about the Assyrians from bitter personal experience. Uh, in the middle of the, the century before this, King Jehu had accepted Assyrian control and, and started paying them off to stop them invading. Uh, Nineveh, uh, the word would have struck terror and loathing into Israelite hearts and Jonah was no different but was it just fear that made Jonah immediately turn 180 degrees well Jonah himself will spell out his reasons in chapter 4 but even in this chapter we we have enough to, to work it out Jonah's problem was that he knew what sort of God God was. Uh, 
Yes, he knew what sort of people the Ninevites were like, but even more than that, he knew what sort of God God was. And he knew that God wasn't going to send him hundreds of miles away to a people uh, to, to, to preach judgment. And then God would give those people no chance to do anything about it. He knew, in the words of, of Jeremiah, uh, the reference is, is on, on the sheet. If at any time I declare concerning a kingdom or nation that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it. And if that nation turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster I intended to do to it. The problem for Jonah is that God is merciful and Jonah can't bear the thought of these evil pagans being given the chance to repent and so he turns on his heel and runs. Is there anyone, and maybe they've, they've done something horrific to you in the past and you can't bear the thought of them being given the opportunity to, to repent and, and one day being in heaven? Well, that was Jonah here. And before we write him off too quickly, we should ask whether there's any of Jonah in us. Israel had begun to think that they were worthy of God's blessing, but the nations around them weren't. I wonder, do we think that because we're in church this morning and most people around us aren't, that that we are more deserving of God's grace than them? Well, actually, the fact that that we are here is a result of God's grace, not because we are better than anyone else. Jonah tries to run from the presence of the Lord, and and surely, we think, surely he would have known this. He was a prophet of God. He he would have known Psalm 139, uh, written uh, before the days of Jonah. Uh, we, we, We opened this morning by singing it. And Jonah even says here in verse 9 that his God is the God of heaven. Uh, so, so he knows his God isn't just some local God that he could uh, run away from. Uh, you know, like those supermarket trolleys that they, when you get beyond the bounds of the supermarket, they, they, they stop working. The, the local gods might have been like that, but Jonah knew that he served the God who was everywhere. But of course, sin isn't always rational, is it? Jonah's problem isn't an intellectual one, it's a moral one. It's not that he doesn't understand what God is saying, it's that he doesn't want to do it. And maybe people come to us with all these objections about the Bible and say, well, I used to believe this, but, but how can this be true? And is this not a contradiction or so on? And, and we can try and, and address those questions and there's a place for that but we need to realize that ultimately it is a moral a problem not an intellectual one now perhaps there is uh, on one level what Jonah's doing perhaps on one level it's rational it, he might not think that he can completely escape God but but he might think that once he, he gets out of the promised land that God won't come calling again Jonah might not be able to stop God saving Nineveh, but he doesn't want to be the one who goes there and sees them repent. If they do have to be told the gospel, he doesn't want to be the one who brings it to them. So he leaves the place where God is getting at him. And could it be that someone here is running from God? 
Like Jonah, your problem isn't that you don't understand what God wants you to do. Uh, Jonah's problem wasn't that he didn't understand, but that he did understand. He understood all too clearly, but the cost was too much. Uh, maybe for someone here, it's the, it's the call to believe in Jesus, and you know that that is the Bible's call, but, but it seems too costly. If that's you this morning, one of your temptations will be to remove yourself from the place where you feel that God is getting at you. The temptation will be to pull back from church, to withdraw from Christian friendships, uh, to pull back from, from other relationships where there are people who will hold us accountable. But it's a dangerous thing to run from God. Though it doesn't always feel dangerous. If we'd asked Jonah in verse 3 how things were going. He might have said well, well God has opened the door for me to go to Tarshish. Because when I got to the port there was a ship going exactly where I wanted to go. If we'd said to Jonah in verse 5. Jonah you really need to think about what you're doing. He might have said well. Actually, I've got a piece about it. I'm able to lie down and sleep. My, my conscience is clear. Uh, my, my, my sleep isn't troubled. I have peace about my decision. How many Christian young people and older people as well have got into a relationship with a non-Christian and have said, well, it's okay. I've, I've prayed about it. Other Christians have made decisions which will clearly impact their God-given role as Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, church members. But they say that they feel that it's the right thing to do. That God has guided them to do it through the circumstances of their lives. And all the while the clear command of scripture says the opposite. So if you're trying to counsel someone who is running from a clear command of God. Don't let I've prayed about it or I have a peace about it. Or their reading of providence. Uh, be, be the, the end of the argument. You need to keep bringing them back to scripture. When it's feelings versus the Bible, the Bible wins every time. Things might seem to be working out okay for Jonah. But actually even before the storm hits we're being told that Jonah is on the way down. In verse 3 we read that Jonah went down to Joppa. And then the second half of the verse he goes down again. This time down into the boat. Then in verse 5 we read that he goes down into the inner part of the ship. Down, down, down. And I don't think it's a coincidence. There have been no lightning bolts, no closed doors, but all the while Jonah is on a downward spiral. If you're running from God, then the best case scenario is that like Jonah, you'll end up exactly where God wanted you the first time. But as with Jonah, you'll have to go through a lot of pain and hardship to get there. And in the meantime, you'll hurt those closest to you. Look at Jonah. He caused the loss of the sailors' cargo nearly their lives. 
I heard of a man recently who came back to God after running from him for years, but his children grew up during the time he was running from God, and they're nowhere today, spiritually speaking. What do you think he would give to get those years back? If you're running from God, it's never just you who'll get hurt. Even if your sin is secret, it will affect those closest to you in one way or another. So firstly today, faithlessness where you expect faith most. The prophet who runs from God. But then secondly, faith where you you expect it least. Faith where you expect it least. Have you ever met a non-Christian who's a lot nicer than many Christians you know? Sadly, it is a not uncommon experience. I wish it were a a less common experience than it is. Uh, But it is a fact. Uh, And in this boat are people who who pray, uh, people who fear God, people who are concerned for the life of someone who has brought them grief, and people who make sacrifices to God. And none of them is Jonah. None of them is God's prophet. Instead, we see a spiritual sensitivity in these hardened sailors, which is completely missing from someone who God speaks directly to. Completely missing from someone who knew all about God, someone who had experienced God's grace, someone who knew, according to chapter 4, verse 2, that God was a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, One old commentator got it spot on when he, he entitled his chapter on this section, The World Rebukes the Church. Isn't that powerful? The world rebukes the church. The sailor's behavior in the midst of a crisis puts Jonah to shame. And that crisis comes in verse 4. Uh, The God who is sovereign right the way through this chapter hurled a great wind upon the sea. And these experienced sailors know that this is no normal storm. If their boat insurance had a section entitled Acts of God, they knew they were experiencing one now. And these multicultural mariners, they cry out to their gods while the Christian preacher lies sleeping. They're the ones with the more sensitive consciences. A sensitive conscience may mean that someone can't sleep, it may, but also someone might be able to sleep because their conscience is so dull to what they've done. In verse 9, Jonah says that he fears God but his actions contradict that claim. In fact, in verse 10, it's the, the foreigners who uh, are exceedingly afraid, who uh, fear a great fear when they hear about the true God. They are astounded that someone who serves the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, would try and defy him. Could it be that this is why we as Christians make so little impact on those around us? 
They cannot believe that our lives, our priorities, how we cope with difficulties would be so similar to their own if we really believed in the God we said we did. Could it be the case that, like Jonah, we're saying one thing with our lips but another thing with our lives? The contrast between the pagans and Jonah continues in verse 13. Even after Jonah tells them that their only hope is to throw him over, they they still don't want to kill him. In verse 14, they pray, uh, but no longer to their gods. Now they're praying to the true God. They use the covenant name Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, that they've obviously heard from Jonah. And they say, lay not on us innocent blood. It's a, a chilling contrast to those who would stand 700 years later baying for the blood of Jesus, who, who would cry out, his blood be on us and on our children. So the difference between Jonah and these pagan sailors couldn't be any clearer. He runs away because he has no compassion for those outside God's covenant people. Yet they have compassion on someone who's a foreigner to them. He gets in their boat with no regard for the danger he might be putting them in. And yet they do everything they can to save his life. And these aren't just little details in the story to notice in passing. Have you ever thought about why the book of Jonah was written? Have you ever thought about who first heard this story? Well, it wasn't those in Nineveh, but it was those back in Israel. And one of the lessons it's teaching God's people is that claiming to believe in or fear the true God is not enough if your life doesn't back up your words. Jonah said all the right things, but his actions didn't back it up. So that would be a question to ask ourselves this week. Is my life backing up my lips the godless sailors put Jonah to shame so is the the main lesson of this chapter then don't be like Jonah be like the sailors that would be a welcome message in many quarters It, it doesn't matter what you believe what God you believe in the important thing is how you live your life Well, let's look more closely at our chapter. The sailors' lives rightly put Jonah to shame. But is their compassion and love for their fellow man enough to save them? Were their efforts enough to stop the storm? Some people walk away from Christianity and they, they live wild lives. Other people walk away from Christianity and they live very outwardly good lives, respectable lives. The question is, are those enough to save them? Well, look how, look what happened with these sailors. Verse 5. When Jonah is asleep, these men are in earnest. They're, they're hurling their cargo overboard. No one can doubt their sincerity. In verse 6, they're men of faith, they're men of prayer. Each prays to their own God. 
they are sincere in what they believe but they are sincerely wrong they aren't they are committed to their gods but what good does it do them verse 11 says the sea grew more and more tempestuous all their efforts their their sincere faith in their gods their good works their compassion it's a rebuke to Jonah yes but it's not enough to save them their niceness and their good works cannot save them how they live their lives is due to God's common grace that is the grace that God works in the lives even of the unsaved so that they're not as bad as they could be but if they don't also experience his saving grace it's not enough our neighbours perhaps who are who, who wouldn't walk past you without speaking to you who, who perhaps show more concern at times than those with the name of God's people those neighbours uh, they have experienced God's common grace but unless they experience his saving grace they will be lost and if the deadly storm here is to be stopped there's only one way to stop it there is a price to be paid Jonah speaks truly in verse 12 when he says that there's only one way of escape and that's for him to be thrown overboard but the sailors don't want to do it anything but that they say but it is the only way could it be that you're in the same position as this boat crew you live a good life better than some born-again christians you know but you haven't yet accepted God's way of salvation through Jesus. You're desperately trying to do all that you can. Perhaps you pray, you, you've tried to turn things around yourself. Maybe even being at a church is an attempt to lighten the load of your conscience. But inside the storm is still raging. All your efforts are getting you nowhere. Well if your own efforts could save you, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. The storm within you will continue raging until you stop struggling and accept God's way of salvation through Christ. Because after all, who is this chapter pointing us to? It tells us of God sending one man to his death that he might save many. Now of course if we read to the end of the story we, we know that Jonah doesn't die though many have held over, the, over the, the years that Jonah did die and was resurrected. But as far as the sailors are concerned, Jonah is a goner. The story tells of, of one man who says that he must die so that those who believe what he says can live. One man who says that he must die so that those who believe what he says can live. It tells of one man who, who in verse 15 must be lifted up so that he can bring salvation to the nations. Lifted up and thrown overboard. It tells of, of one man whose suffering in verse 14 is said to please God just as the death of the Lord Jesus pleased God. God saving these soldiers by the death of one man points us forward to Jesus Christ. 
But praise God that although we see echoes of Jonah in the Lord Jesus, we see far more contrast than similarity. Comparing these two prophets of God shows how much greater our Saviour is. Jonah was a disobedient prophet, but Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jonah faced death for his own sin, as he acknowledges in verse 12. Jesus was without sin, but faced death for the sins of his people. Jonah wouldn't travel a few hundred miles to Nineveh to preach to his fellow men. Jesus left the glory of heaven to preach to and die for his creatures. Jonah tells the sailors to throw throw him into the sea when it's already clear that if they don't, they're all going to die anyway. But Jesus should never have died. He said of his own life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. If the message of this chapter was merely, don't run from God, well, we wouldn't have much hope, would we? Because our natural reaction is to run from God. God says one thing, we do the opposite. We are born into this world like little Jonah's running from God. Even as Christians, we, our big struggle is not to understand what God is telling us to do, but to do it. But God doesn't just wipe his hands of Jonah and send someone else. God still has a purpose for him. He launches a gracious manhunt. After all, Jonah's efforts to get away in verse 3. How does verse 4 start? But the Lord hurled a great wind. God wasn't going to give up on Jonah that easily. If you're a Christian this morning, this is your God. Uh, Maybe you're tempted to give up on yourself, but God won't. If you're here this morning and trusting an outward religion, if you've started to think that you deserve God's grace, he's ready to bring hard things into your life so that you realise that he himself is your only hope. And look finally at the grace of God in verse 16. He has overruled even the, the disobedience of his servants to bring of his servant to bring salvation to these sailors. They fear the Lord. And it is that, that covenant name Lord rather than the general name God. They offer a sacrifice to him. They they've learnt that they can only approach the Lord through sacrifice. They are, I believe, we're being told, truly saved. And who knows how many people this multicultural group of sailors may have brought the message of the Lord's salvation to. Let me tell you what happened to us on that boat. If you're not a Christian this morning, God has overruled in your life to bring you to hear this message. There's only one way to still the sea of God's wrath. And that's not to try and throw out the, the, the cargo uh, to, uh, to, to streamline your life and, and, and stop doing things. Uh, the only way is to trust in Jesus Christ who experienced the full tempest of God's wrath in the place of his people. Which is why the prophet Micah could say, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. 
This can be true for you this morning as it was for the faithless prophets and the faithful sailors. All because one greater than Jonah has come. Amen. Well, let's respond to God's word by singing from Psalm 87. Psalm 87, page 198. It's a psalm which speaks of surprising converts. And there are few more surprising converts in Scripture than these pagan sailors. These sailors, they meet one Christian in their lives. And he is a terrible witness. And yet as, as a result of their encounter with Jonah and with Jonah's God, their lives are changed forever. How much more responsibility do we have who have seen the, the Christian life consistently lived out? But how we marvel at the grace of God that he uses even this fleeing prophet to bring people to faith. So Psalm 87 and the tune will be Gainsborough again different from the sheet Uh, so Psalm number 87 tune 91 page 198 will stand and sing praise